0: Well, uh, I have decided we are going to take a quick off-ramp of Matthew. We're not going to go to Matthew today for a couple reasons. It's Mother's Day, and we just need some time to acknowledge what a gift mothers are in a world that wants to eliminate them, you know, um, or at least devalue them. We want to talk about their significance, but secondly, the... Next section on Matthew's about divorce, and I think that'd be a terrible topic to talk about. (laughs) Just would not go good. Baby dedication, divorce. Wonderful. (laughs) Wouldn't work. Wouldn't work. So, we are going to begin in a little passage, one verse, the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45. If you could turn there, just keep it ready and on hand. Who here, who here owns an Apple product? Raise your hand if you own an Apple product. This is a very advanced group. The first group of two people. Now most of you guys. I'm kidding. A lot of us do. Some would say Apple products are the finest technology in the world because people would say Apple is probably one of the most advanced companies in the world. Well, last month, last month, the Apple employees were a bit upset at their CEO. His name is Tim Cook oh, yeah. because he wants to go back to pre-COVID work conditions. He wants his employees to start returning to the office. He's actually started having them come back for one day a week. He's going to ramp it up by the end of the month to three days a week. Hopefully he wants to get them back where they're back in the office full time. Tim Cook believes in what he'd call in-person collaboration and serendipity, because he believes if you work together, you get more stuff done. He's tired of Zoom, tired of people just kind of being isolated in their home and he wants them to come back in. Well, a large contingent of the Apple employees did not like that idea. They call themselves Apple Together, and they put together the, the a, a list of demands. It's about five pages. It's called Thoughts on Office Bound Work. And they don't like the idea of having top-down control and the CEOs telling the workers what to do. Here's what they said. They basically said, for many of us, we do not need this type of control. We do not need it every week, nor even every month, and definitely not every day. They go on to say, we are asking to decide for ourselves, together with our teams, what kind of work arrangement works best for each of us, be that in an office, work from home, or a hybrid approach. Stop treating us like school kids who need to be told when and where and what kind of work to do. They do not like the idea of being told what to do. They end this letter by saying this. Listen closely. They said, here we are, the smart people that you hire, and we're telling you what to do. Please get out of our way. There is no one-size-fits-all solution. Let us decide how we work best, and let us do the best work of our lives. Could you imagine telling your boss, please get out of our way. I'm going to work the way I want to work. How many of you would be fired instantaneously? A lot of you. Aaron, you would. You'd be done. You'd be preaching next week, and I'd be driving the truck. Peterbilt, right? Peterbilt is the only way. Gone, though, if you look across the landscape, gone are the days when the boss has the right to demand work to be done his way. It's hard to ask people to self-sacrifice for the benefit of the company anymore because now work is meant for me to be able to reach my full potential at work. In fact, as it stands today, did you know there are more than 11 million jobs that are available to work in America? 11 million openings. And I believe one of the reasons, because Americans, they no longer want to work for bosses that tell them what to do. We want to decide what is best for us. We deserve the kind of job we desire, right? I mean, we all do. Your boss needs to treat you as you yourself think you're worth. He needs to pay you as you think you should be paid. Human emancipation now is on the move. True freedom is... Beyond the threshold, that means we should no longer settle. No longer settle for dead-end jobs. We need to be self-actualized in our striving. We need to shout, workers arrive, pound the table, pay me what I'm worth. That's how a lot of people believe. No wonder no one wants to be a mom anymore. Let's be honest. What value is there really in being a mom? It is nothing more than being subjected to a life of menial servitude. Serving all the time at other people's beck and call. What woman wants that? What birthing person wants that? (laughs) Ever since the clarion call for women's rights back in the 1960s, a book called The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan, women must now boldly stand strong. Here's what Friedan writes. Over and over again, stories in women's magazines insist that women can now, can know fulfillment only at the moment of giving birth to a child. There's no other way she can even dream about herself except as her children's mother or her husband's wife. And those women who are just as housewives, who grew up wanting to be just a housewife, are in as much danger, listen to what she says, are in as much danger... As the millions who walk to their own death in the concentration camps, they go suffering a slow death of mind and spirit. So she writes this Why should women accept this picture of a half life instead of a share in the whole of human destiny? Those are some brave words. And ever since she penned them in the 1960s, motherhood has been on. downward slope. And rightly so, if you think about it. I think she has a point. I mean, think about it. Serving children, often with brains of mush, can be quite degrading for a person who is trying to experience their full humanity. Think about it. While your husband gets to go to work, talk to adults, tell jokes around the water cooler, they play fantasy football at lunch, get drinks during happy hour. Moms, for the most part, are stuck doing mundane jobs like Cinderella, covered with soot. Yeah. Very little reward. Think about it. It's exhausting and humiliating to pick up dirty socks, change smelly diapers, clean up spilled milk, wipe snotty noses, vacuum football fields to dirty carpets, show for kids, From t-ball practice to ballet class. And then after all that, after all that, it's the mom's job to act impressed by a four-year-old's silly finger paints and crayon-colored stick figures. And then you have to do all, all over again the next day. Never ends. It's like Sisyphus who pushed up the boulder on top of the hill only to have it go to the other side and drop back down. And then think about it. Then you have to go to your husband's end-of-the-year banquet and listen to all the accolades he gets. Well, you get nothing. No one cares. No one sees what you do, and no one appreciates the soul-crushing work you daily engage in. Try being a mom and making demands like the Apple employees did. All you get is a grunt from your husband and a grumble from your three kids as they run outside to play. Who would ever, in their right mind, volunteer for such a degrading life of servitude? Does anybody even understand what a mom has to put up with without getting anything in return? Kind of, it's like dying daily. Come to think of it. It Sounds a lot like this verse, chapter 10, verse 45 in Mark. It's a verse that has quite literally changed thousands of people's lives. It's changed my life. Listen to what it says. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you could say, Mom, Jesus gets it. And being a recipient of having a wonderful mother myself, I think God made mothers. I think God made mothers so we can experience firsthand what the love of God is like. Amen. If you ever had a mom, you have no excuse. You have no excuse when God asks you if you ever witnessed his love. I think the greatest honor, and I'm going to say yes, it's an honor a mom is given, is to directly reveal what the love of God looks like. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. A mother's love based on this verse. And there's going to be three, three little statements I'm going to say. The first, based on this verse, love is love is serving others to the point where it will cost you your life. Love is serving others to the point where it will cost you your life. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. But we must understand this verse for a second. We must really dwell on it. Jesus is saying, in no uncertain terms, how he, the most important person who ever lived, he's the Son of Man, Son of Man, that means it's the greatest title anybody's ever been given, came not to be served. That means he did not come here so he could be waited on, doted on, had palm leaves cooling him by servants and skivvies. He did not come demanding things done his way. He never was carried down a busy street in a litter pushing peasants aside telling them to get out of the way. Jesus never went to the Met Gala wearing chains that cost more than our houses put together. You know that Jesus didn't even come during our lifetime, our era? Think about it. He could have come during our lifetime where he could have a home theater in the basement with full Wi-Fi so he could stream the NASCAR races while going to a small fridge, pull out cans of Dr. Pepper, having a large plate of nachos sitting on his belly so he could snooze in the afternoon as he drooled in complete isolated bliss alone. He could have done that. No, Jesus came to earth as a minority peasant. Without money, without title, without position, power, and he did not even have a dad who owned a Ford F-350 pulling two jet skis on the back. He came to serve others. This verse is pretty simple, right? Son of man came not to be served, but to serve. But very few people, very few people, except for moms, understand the depth of what this costs. Serving others costs you your life. Think about what Jesus gave up. God, in the person of the Son, involved himself fully by being able to come to us on our terms, to serve us lowly people. Here's what he had to do. Jesus first had to come to earth he left the most perfect place, a place that was far better than any of the houses on Lifestyles of Rich and Famous. He started, he started at the position all of us are striving to get to. He was in heaven, which is a place of perfection and beauty. He was sitting on the throne, and he had all the power and authority anybody would ever want. He was being adored by angels in all his splendor. He was the most popular person in the universe. He enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Father, which means he was already accepted. He didn't need to prove anything. And he was watching the earth from afar in perfect safety and security and peace. He had peace. But at a certain point in eternal time, after negotiating with his Father, he volunteered to leave this place of perfection, emptied himself of all his majesty. And became a man for the purpose of serving us. Compared to Gabriel and Michael, these incredible angels, he came to us, smelly, silly, cantankerous creatures. Now that was hard. Psalm 69 describes a little bit of what his life was like just as a young man. Here's what it says. He says, I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Those who hate me without pawns outnumber the hairs on my head. Many enemies try to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I did not steal. For I endure insults for your sake. Humiliation is written all over my face. Even my own brothers pretend they don't know me. They treat me like a stranger. Jesus gave everything to serve you. And if you want to serve, it will require to give up yourself fully. Maybe that's why nobody likes to serve that much these days. But that's exactly what a natural mom does. My mom, my mom had six kids. And one of those kids had to be fed and have her diapers changed every single day for 61 years and still has to. My mom, in her old age, when she... Should be able to drink sweet tea on a porch in Key Largo, is stuck in Cleveland, still serving a handicapped daughter. Man, growing up, she loved our family. I can, I cannot count how many times she went down to the basement where mountains of dirty clothes were, which contained old dirty diapers. Remember, old dirty diapers—they're cloth diapers. Those are bad diapers. Like you thought, new diapers are pretty nice. Old diapers, ugh. Oh. And you know what? She cleaned them all up. Everyone expected her to. Nobody ever once said to my mom, Mom, I'll help you. Clean up Laura's diapers. Nobody wondered why she was down there. How many times did she drive me to football practice, waiting for me in the rain? My dad was off somewhere, business across the country. How many times did she tuck me in at night, reading a Dr. Seuss book? You do not like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam. I am. How many times did she pray on my bedside? How many times has she made us kids peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, putting them in Star Wars lunch boxes? Remember those old metal lunch boxes that you click and you run and they slide out of there? <laughs> and they <had laughs> None would say, eat it anyhow. Anyhow, that's beside the, the point. <laughs> she went to my plays, my silly little plays, where I sang, oh, my darling Clementine. She wrapped countless birthday and Christmas gifts just to see a smile. She now does this for over 30 grandkids, and she still keeps her swimming pool clean for guests. She still goes shopping for pine and scrub toilets. She keeps paying her bills. She keeps wiping out microwaves. And have I ever told you about her famous chili? It's good. I could go on forever with her mundane list of love, but one thing I noticed about my mom, one thing I've noticed about my wife, one thing I've noticed about other moms is that over time of serving others in the small nooks and crannies of life, it brings you far more joy than living a selfish life. Amen. Have you ever noticed, Have you ever noticed selfish people are never satisfied? The more you serve them, the more they make demands. But those who learn to serve and find delight in that service begin to find satisfaction in their service because they realize that's how their Savior lived. He did not come to be served, but he served. So the second question is, why did he do that? Why did he go to such great lengths? Why would moms continue to stay in this Mundane menial torture, because here's the second thing about a mother's love and Christ's love. Because the cost of love reveals the depth of love for those who you love. The cost of love reveals the depth of love for those who you love. It's all about love. The cost of your service to others is a tangible sign of the depth of your love to the person you're serving. You know, it's easy to talk a good talk, to say, I love people, and I just, just love each other. It's easy to sing love songs to a pretty girl. <coughs> it's easy to gush online after sending a selfie where you're pouting, click, and then click, it and send it. I love you. That's easy, but giving of yourself and service to others really reveals if you love. And there are not many lovers out there as far as I can see. I always find it interesting. It's, it's interesting being a pastor, especially when people wonder about God's love. As a pastor, they ask me, does God really even care? How do I know I can trust him? Does he even see me, you point them to John 3.16 and they yawn and they say, yeah, I've heard that, but come on, does he really love me? And then you got to say, but have you really heard John 3.16? Begins by saying, for God so loved the world. How do I not know God so loved the world? How do you know God so loved the world? He gave his son. His very own son. He sent his son, he sent his son to serve us, and his son served us in death. So when you see Jesus hanging, naked, on a cross, it's the greatest display of love ever given. How dare you doubt that love, honestly. It's incredible. God did that for you. Look closely at Mahomes a second. If that's not enough, just look at moms. A lot of people yawn about what they do. They ignore what moms do. But have you ever looked close at what moms really do? Their love is shown cleaning, cleaning up vomit in the crib. Taking a child to the ER at 3 in the morning as they're screaming their heads off. Their love is sitting at a double header baseball game in the middle of summer in the first game is in the third inning, and it's 17-1, and they're still cheering. Yeah. Like, that's love, honestly. <laughs> their love, their love is the silent praying daily for a child who has turned from the truth and is running away from the gospel, and all they want for them is to come home. It takes everything, all of you, to be a mom. And this sacrifice is how you display love. Or you could say it like this. Those who truly love just sacrifice. Do you know the inverse is also true as well? If you don't serve others, what does that say about your love? If all you do is expect to be served, sit on your rump on the couch, waiting to be waited on, what does that say about your love? If you don't notice the sacrifices people are making for you and keep expecting them to keep doing those same things for you, what does that say about your love? Jesus is very clear. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Think about the inverse of this, when it comes specifically to abortion. What kind of love does a person have who would rather take another person's life to give up theirs, specifically their lifestyle. Matthew 24, Jesus says, one of the signs of the end is when the love of most grows cold. Maybe we're seeing it now. 2 Timothy says, the way you can tell the end times are coming is when people are lovers of Pleasure. So the final question, and why is this kind of serving required? Why is death required? Why is sacrifice required in serving? Because number three, sacrificial love alone sets people free. Look at how Mark 10, 25 puts it. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as, as a ransom. Christ paid the ransom price, and ransom means it's a price that's enough to set people free. You can look at it like this. Those who believe in Jesus are no longer slaves to their sin because Jesus became sin for us. Love alone sets people free. And the example of a mother is the perfect image of what I mean by this. Think about it. The strength of a mom, especially when they're younger, when they have children, The strength of a mom is given to counteract the weakness of a child. And so a mom sacrifices her time, her health, her bank account for a teeny, itty-bitty, mindless baby so that someday that baby will grow up to be strong. My two sons, who are both here, and they're both much bigger than me, and they both can kill me, were once little teeny-weeny guys. Like a little teeny-weeny fowl. Guess who picked them up when they cried? Their mom, who now they can pick up with their pinkies. <laughs> In the same way, Jesus became a slave to God's will, so this slave to sin can be set free to glorify God, and now the ways I get to glorify God is by serving others. God gave his strength to me, so I can now give his strength to others. God comforts you, so you can comfort those in need. 2 Corinthians even says this, Death is at work in us, so life can be at work in you. What Paul is saying is that his followers were reaping the advantages of his trials. His followers were safe, they were free from exposure to death, but yet he daily faced it. And because he sacrificed his life, they were able to receive eternal life. He was exposed to death. He was called to endure constant trial. And he did it because he knew it would lead to their eternal blessings. So what Mark 10.45 means is the same thing. Jesus' suffering, Jesus' self-denial is for the good of others. And it resulted in their benefit and their salvation. Moms understand this, and moms do this. And did you know you were called to do this, too? The question is, do you do this? It is hard to give up your life to help others succeed. It is. Like Applebee employees, we want to decide how we work best. We want to decide when we serve best. We want to be in control. We want to be served. Jesus says, serve. There is this new movement today, and it's been going on, I'd say, for the last 15, 20 years, where it's cooler to leave the church. Because I'd rather be left alone. Do you know why I'd rather be left alone? Because do you know how people, such a bother they are in a church? Yeah, that's the point. That's the point of church. But being a part of community is me giving up my time and my strength to help those in the community who need my time and my strength. So by the sheer nature of church, people are going to bother you and they're going to sap your strength. But what did you come to do to serve or be served? When you become part of a family, you often give up your independence to help those in need. So too a church. That's what nursery workers do. Leaders of Bible studies give up their weekend nights or their Thursday nights to help other people know the word of God more. Coaches, coach even in sports, give up their life so kids will learn the skills that they so love. Moms do. Jesus did. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you,